0: Today's episode is with Kalyani Bhavad.
1: That is like a best example I can come up with. So when you're baking a cake, when do you add sugar? You can only imagine how many resources now we have to dedicate to fixing that. Until you reach a desired outcome where you're like, okay, oh, hey, this is good enough, I'm satisfied with the product of this thread model. Involve people who have security knowledge, not just security knowledge. What about threat modeling is that you can come up with like a checklist and template. The first threat model is not the best. People are throwing in random ideas like you could lead, it could lead to like unauthorized access to a database or something like that. First thing to remember, there is no one size fits all. You will have all these different models, and you have to find something that tailors well. In fact, an answer that oh no, we did it in the beginning the threat modeling thing. I don't uh but we are threat modeling since the beginning of time. You walk into darkness, you're threat modeling around. If something is changing, security cannot be static at the same time. It will have to change. So there's a certain strategy that you want to follow with vulnerability management. And I'm not talking about like CVSS score or risk scores, because you want to think about all these different factors when you're trying to do that. Threat. I will discuss something with upper management if it is absolutely one, is that try to run a very blameless culture.
0: Hi, everyone. This is Purshottam, and thanks for tuning into Scale to Zero podcast. Today's episode is with Kalyani Pawar. Kalyani is an AppSec engineer at heart and navigating the dynamic world of startups. Uh, after working for a couple of Fortune 500 companies, she now works at a Series F unicorn called Zipline, and uh, their focus is to secure drones and infrastructure. Uh, it's wonderful to have you in the show. Uh, Kalyani, uh, for our viewers who may not know you do you want to briefly share about your journey
1: sure yeah uh, so hey everyone <laughs> my name is kalyani uh you can also call me kaylee if you prefer not to butcher my name
0: um
1: i uh, currently i work at this amazing company a drone company called zipline uh, i run the application security uh, and vendor security side of things at zipline uh, my past career has been really diverse starting from like adversary emulation pen testing uh then compliance then vulnerability management, and then now it's uh, application security. Um, the beautiful part about working at a startup is that I get to wear multiple hats uh, and I get uh, a diverse exposure uh, and everything um, I do. So, yeah, it's been a fun, nearly half a decade now. Uh, it's been fun so
0: far. Yeah. Lovely. So you have touched many areas of security. So I'm pretty sure we'll get to learn a few of those today. Uh, so I start with, asking, what does a day in your life look like? I always get like different answers for different people, right? Even though they do like, a similar job or something like that. How does it look like for you?
1: So day in my life, <laughs> uh, it's okay. It, it, I, there's a lot of context switching that happens throughout the whole day. Um, say one moment I'll be doing API security. One moment I'll be threat modeling something. Uh, another moment I'll be doing manual source code reviews. But the intent at the end of the day is to create a secure code and make sure that secure code makes its way into production. Um, it should not mm-hmm. be buggy, it should not contain a bunch of vulnerabilities, that. And then obviously dealing with the monster of vulnerability backlog, uh, where you, know, you use different metrics, different prioritization techniques, and um, sit down and develop a strategy about how you're going to tackle this backlog, um, sometimes I mean i would say i'm guilty of like onboarding different tools because i feel like it would automate and make my job easier but the sad part about some of the tools is that i they produce a lot of false positives and so i end up spending a lot of my time again sifting through true positives and false positives and uh making sense of them and then trying to explain it in a language that that the developer would understand um and uh, yeah just simplify it works for everybody so security could be easily accessible to everyone that's what my day-to-day looks like
0: so one thing that you mentioned at the starting right context switching and yeah. that applies to everyone like especially in the remote world that we are in yeah. Uh, yeah. one moment you are working on something the next moment somebody pings you on slack and then the next moment you are doing something else right you have no idea and, who, where you were before you got yeah, onto that Slack call or something.
1: Got, yeah, sure. And I think uh, this this major problem I have is uh, one that they'll be like, "Oh, this is urgent. Uh, we want to push this within two weeks. So now let's get security review done." Uh, or uh, uh, other would be that, "Oh, we don't have time for this in our current sprint." you know these common stories that you keep hearing we don't we are focused on creating functionality and feature we don't have time for security so i think it's about like changing that mindset that people have towards security that it's not a chore it's not some extra task it, it is a beautiful craft that could be involved in your sdlc um so yeah that's that's another part of the job you know
0: mm-hmm. yeah and we'll talk about uh like the mindset and all of that uh, um today uh, so we have few topics to talk about, right? So let's start with uh, threat modeling. So most organizations use some sort of software development lifecycle, right, uh, for building applications. Um, according to you, like how soon should threat modeling be introduced into the software development lifecycle?
1: Have you baked before? Ever bake a cake mm-hmm. or something? OK, so I'm a baker. So my that is like a best example I can come up with. So when you're baking a cake, when do you add sugar? Beginning itself, right? You don't add it at the end uh, and then expect that it's going to taste delightful. Similar thing with threat modeling. You want to do it as early as possible, preferably in the design and requirement stage, uh, requirements and design phase. Um, why? Because so there's multiple factors associated with it. The cost factor for example there's this technical term Mm -hmm. that we use in the industry called shift left which means it is less clear and easier to fix something um, the earlier that you discover about it in the whole development cycle imagine you have highly vulnerable code it makes its way to deployment it's post deployment people are already using that app you can only imagine how many resources now we have to dedicate to fixing that one vulnerability which we could have caught very much early on in time Another thing mm-hmm. I want to point on there is that, you know, a lot of people, they just look at the application system design, the whole design, and they get overwhelmed by it. The whole diagram overwhelms it. My suggestion is to scope it as much as possible. Make it as, as, as scoped as possible. Maybe you can just focus on the authentication uh, part of the application. How are you authenticating this? Uh, try to zoom into the whole, uh, aspect that you're trying, this whole feature that you're trying to target and make it as detailed as possible. And this process is obviously continuous, you know, um, for example, um, if you are, if you are baking something, okay. And you made the whole batter, it's ready to go in the oven. You still, you still do a taste test, right. To see if uh, it, it it is meeting your requirements or not. Right. So it's, mm-hmm. it's the whole, um, cycle about like making those constant checks in your whole pipeline it is a whole process of like um doing threat modeling in like different phases not just early but through different phases of sdlc so that you mm-hmm. do catch vulnerabilities whatever is vulnerable whatever looks sus to you you can you can uh, figure that out and also it's a whole process where you will evolve over time and you just keep you just go, go through iteration through iteration until you reach a desired um if you, until you reach a desired outcome where you're like, okay, this is good enough. I'm satisfied with the product of this threat model. I had so,
0: never, yeah. I had never imagined to uh, use a baking analogy for security. So <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you for doing that. At, at least now I can use this when I am speaking with the folks that, hey, we don't want security right now. Maybe we'll do it later. I can yeah. talk to them about baking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, But one thing that you mentioned that uh, definitely makes a lot of sense is, uh, like, having a very detailed understanding of your components, let's say, right? And uh, let's say zoom into a particular area which you are trying to address and look at the threat model of that and then go from there rather than looking at your entire architecture and getting overwhelmed. Um, Sometimes maybe it's it's, some of those things are maybe not... uh, in control of you or your team, uh, then it gets overwhelming, right? How do I interact with other team? How do I get the information from them and stuff like that? So uh, a follow-up question that I have on this is, how how can I use threat modeling? Let's say I decided that uh, we'll start from the beginning. How can I use threat modeling to detect the problems earlier?
1: First thing, involve everybody that should be involved in a threat model. For example, involve people from the business use case, involve people from the developer use case, involve people who have security knowledge, not just security knowledge. They can be AppSec SME, but they should have some kind of um, offensive uh, persona and defensive persona. So that is one thing. You you find those people before you start threat modeling. The next thing is make your data flow diagrams as um, detailed as possible because that that is what you're going to keep looking at throughout your whole cycle. The more uh, the more features that you add onto it, the more uh, confusing it's going to get. So make it make a, a beautiful, concise DFD for it. Um, mm-hmm. Then you can sit down and you can figure out what are my user stories, what are my use cases. Um, how how many? Say it could be something as basic as oh, we have a, it is a shopping app. We have people who are selling their things so the seller admin and then his group of sellers so you want to think about these use cases as you're as you're talking through threat model you want to brainstorm all these ideas and then mm-hmm. um, what I like about threat modeling is that you can come up with like a checklist and template you know for for example my in my background mostly has been uh, in startups where they don't have like a mature security program. So you have to, you got to start somewhere, right? Um, and what I like about the first threat model is not the best. People are throwing in random ideas like, "Hey, we have something like an admin module in there. Should we be, should we be having it? Do you think an attacker could have access to it? Things like that." You will hear some really amazing uh, ideas from uh, developers, and you'll be like, "Yeah, that's that's cool, but let's not give access to everyone, you know?" Um, so <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, if you're say you're focusing on authentication, things that you learn through the threat model about how your application can be attacked, can be exploited uh, from an authentication perspective, make a checklist of that. Once you make a checklist mm-hmm. of that, you can make that template and circulate it to more uh, teams. Okay. So, for example, a big problem that I've been facing, and it's not just me; it's a lot of uh, engineers, security engineers out there, is that you're you're in a, you're in an organization where there's just like 200 developers being supported by one AppSec engineer. It's it's a very common story. Um, This this checklist, this template, if I can apply it to team A, I can also pass it on to team B, right? Right. And another um, aspect I want to touch on while we're talking about this is that um, scalability. Startups are always going to be fast paced. Maybe large organizations too. They're always going to be fast paced. So this one AppSec engineer cannot support these 200 developers so the way i would i would suggest tackling this is maybe assign an owner of the feature now if they are going to ship the feature start to end they have to come Mm -hmm. to you with their security questions make them the owner rather than you being the owner um and then you know you you will get overwhelmed and burnt out by uh looking at so many applications and trying to deliver security at um you know scaling will be difficult so try to make the developer the owner of this whole process and you know what it will do it will not just help you with scaling it will also help you with like training and education they will learn it will be like through osmosis they're going to learn new ideas about like oh how i can secure my app oh this is not a this is a vulnerable package i should not use it um, or oh this is how my code can be exploited this is how uh, a malicious intent person is going to um input something really bad and ca- cause like a toss. so think of it as a learning opportunity for them and then mm-hmm. also another opportunity for growth um right. yeah but,
0: yeah so few things i i really liked about what you said right one is the first version of your threat modeling would always be not perfect yeah. let me put it that way it's right fine. but you should yeah. be okay yeah. with it yeah because you yeah if you aim for perfection you will never start yeah right so so that is somewhere. one thing yeah. i really like yeah yeah you yeah. have to start somewhere the second thing is the checklist, and it makes a lot of sense, uh, particularly if you have many teams and you have limited a number of engineers, right? Uh, security engineers uh, in the yeah. team. Uh, and the last one is, uh, and the most important one is involving other teams as well. So uh, Like yeah, f- like few few weeks uh, back, we had an uh, we had a, um, a guest. Uh, Dustin Lair, he speaks a lot about security champion program, where yeah. he says that you collaborate more with other team members and try to find a champion in other teams so that they help push your agenda. Uh, yeah. Like from a security team's perspective, you uh, work with them yeah. so that the security agenda moves forward. Yeah. So yeah, it it makes a lot of sense.
1: Um, so I have, I found success in the security champion program as well because say if I found something that looks sus to me, I would take it to the manager and I'd be like, hey, since you're like the lead for this team, I think this looks wrong. Maybe you should fix it. Uh, and then they, th- there's, there's that whole pushback that, hey, I don't have this uh, bandwidth for this in this current sprint or something like it. that. In that situation, having a champion on the team is easy because you can like go talk to them that hey, this is a problem, and then they speak the developer language to the manager and explain that hey, if this gets exploited, uh, you could lead it could lead to like unauthorized access to a database or something like that. So yeah. having those champions is so essential. Um, yeah, God bless them. You know, like when I go to conferences <laughs> uh, and it, it, like security-focused conferences, and I see developers attending it, I feel like. They're doing really amazing job by you know supporting um, the whole security community by educating themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one thing that you mentioned, right? Like particularly for startups, when you have limited resources or maybe you don't have any security teams. Uh, yeah. Particularly for threat modeling, there are many models also, right? Uh, there is, yeah. uh, CVSS, STRIDE, uh, VAST. There are many models. Yeah. Let's say. Uh, I don't have a security expert in the team. It's very difficult for me to understand what's the right model. What's the right way to implement? How should I go about it?
1: Sure. So first thing to remember, there is no one size fits all agenda with Mm -hmm. threat modeling. There's no one size fits all. You will have all these different models and you have to find something that tailors your needs. Now, if they don't have a security person who's going to explain to them how threat modeling works they're obviously inevitably going to go on the internet and figure out what threat modeling is now i pulled Uh up the definition of threat modeling the other day and it was like threat modeling works to identify communicate understand threats and mitigations within the context of protecting something of value Uh, it is a process for capturing organizing and analyzing all information it is a structured representation of information that affects the security of an application it is so complicated, <laughs> you know. This whole definition is so complicated, right? You don't mm-hmm. you don't want to just be like this seems so complicated, I don't want to waste my time on it. I'm just and also it's very ready.
0: high level, right? It's, it's not very, very specific. Yeah, yeah.
1: It is very high level. But if you don't have security guidance on your team, there's just three to four basic things that you want out of your threat model. Threat model is not some huge monster. It is as basic as, you know, what what is my system? How mm-hmm. understanding my system? What can possibly go wrong with it? What can we do about it? And am I in a good enough space now that I figured that this is what is wrong with my system? It's that's as simple as it gets. That is what threat modeling is. Um, so talking about STRIDE, um, it is it is very foundational in its ma- in its um, in its character. If if you are if you are someone without any uh, background in security, and you want to just like go ahead with like, hey, what are different attack vectors? What what are different impacts that can happen if this gets compromised? So you start thinking about like STRIDE from like spoofing and tampering and all all the the whole STRIDE mnemonic uh, uh, acronym perspective. Now, mm-hmm. pasta on the other hand is for someone who has figured out their technical requirements, their business requirements, wants to bake in um, GRC since the beginning. So mm-hmm. that. That is what pasta is. There's other, others like attack trees and octave and etc. Um, etc. Et but
0: mm-hmm. what,
1: this is confusing enough. This whole mm-hmm. thing that we spoke for the last two minutes is confusing enough. But what right. you've got to understand here is first, what is your product? What mm-hmm. is going? What is its context? How, how are we delivering features in it? What kind of features are we delivering in it? Those, mm-hmm. answer those basic questions about your product. Next step. Start with something as foundational as Stride. Since you don't have the backup for security, start with something as foundational as Stride. And then you continuously grow and learn through it. There will be a point where you will feel like, oh, I'm now comfortable doing pasta. So Mm -hmm. in the beginning, start with something as simple, as basic as Stride. You don't want to like uh, overcomplicate this. This is a very foundational basic model to to, to threat model. So do that. And again, learn as you grow because you will you cannot expect uh, on a really complex microservice that you are going to use stride because there's obviously more ways that this can be exploited so keep right. your requirements business requirements in mind and then you um, choose which model works for you the best
0: yeah so um, what, one follow up question to that is uh, like if if i if I am either not security, uh, if I do not have a security mindset, or if I am not, uh, I don't have enough uh, engineers or security team in my uh, security team members. Uh, do I need to do it on a continuous manner? Can I do it once and then just you uh, use the findings uh, for From the eternity? One, yeah. Like yeah. H- how should how should like what's the right mindset and how should that be instilled in an yeah. organization?
1: Yeah. So I get this question a lot, um, or in fact an answer that, oh no, we did it in the beginning, the threat modeling thing, I don't think we need it anymore. Uh, but the the answer that I give them is that, have you been on a beach in summer and you're building a sandcastle, okay? The sandcastle, and then there's like waves coming, it's windy, the seagulls and all of that. How, are you just gonna make a sandcastle and just like leave it out there uh, In in the process when you're building it? You have to keep in mind that, oh, you're a little away from water or you're behind the rocks or something, where um, this is not where a lot of seagulls are flying. So you are trying to continually do at different phases, right? Foundational phase, then one bucket phase, two bucket phase. You're You're constantly assessing the threats when you're doing it or even when uh-huh. you're... I feel like as humans, we are threat modeling since the beginning of time. You walk into darkness, you're threat modeling around, you're looking at what threats I have here. Should I even walk into this dark alley or not? So it mm-hmm. is a it is a continuous process. Um, but I I want to like talk about um, how to, um, how do I inspire a developer to do threat modeling? So many ways to do it. First, make them understand that security is a journey it's not a destination um you celebrate their small wins say today Mm -hmm. they found out that um this data flow looks really vulnerable it's unencrypted uh and so i want to put in some kind of encryption for it celebrate the fact that uh, they are doing it maybe give them props uh maybe tell their lead about it maybe in your sync with them with the whole team celebrate their wins um and also Make them understand that the landscape is always going to be changing. It's not going to be constant, right? Um, Depending on how fast or slow your organization is developing, they're going to use different tools at different times. There's going to be some containerization, some new package being involved, something new is going to keep happening. So Mm -hmm. your tech landscape keeps changing. If something is changing, security cannot be static at the same time. It will have to change in tandem with whatever is being developed. And Mm -hmm. and it does just not just that also like there's new attack vectors every day, right? There's, there's a new Oh, today there is lock for G- uh, uh, lock for shell vulnerability. Uh, mm-hmm. It is going to happen. There's no, there's no stopping this wave of attack vectors that's going to happen. So
0: right.
1: once you understand these basic things, these three, four basic things that I just spoke about, it gets easier to then continually threat model. Um, mm-hmm. As you, are, as, as you as you go forward in your whole process, in your whole life cycle. Okay. So, yeah, that, it's, it's that getting makes the sense.
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, again, another good analogy, uh, that how you should not think about it as a one-time activity, rather it's a more of a continuous process. So, uh, one of the things that you uh, highlighted towards the end of your answer is the vulnerabilities, right? No matter how yeah. much uh, threat modeling you do, there are external factors, right? let's say there is a vulnerability to your operating system or your networks yeah. uh, setting, something yeah. like that. So yeah. e- is there a way to get rid of all of these vulnerabilities? Is there a cheat code that I can use so that I don't have to think about those? I just do threat modeling and I'm, I'm all good.
1: There's no cheat code. <laughs> there is no magic trick. If there was one, I wish I knew. <laughs>
0: um,
1: <laughs> okay. So I think vulnerability management, um, it's like dealing, like we were discussing earlier, it's like you have this huge backlog of vulnerabilities and you're trying to like um, knock them off one by one. Mm -hmm. But if you have, say, um, the number of vulnerabilities is in six figures, at that point, you possibly just don't want to touch this monster at all, right? You just just want to quit your job, go somewhere else. Uh, but, (laughs) But I think, so there's a certain strategy that you want to follow with vulnerability management understand where your organization is how mature your security program is um, and then find out different metrics that work for you for example um, one of them and I'm not talking about like CVSS score or risk scores because um, they do not they're not they're not tailor-made to your organization mm-hmm. it is it does mm-hmm. not um, it is not applicable some of them are not even applicable to you so you um, so you can look at metrics, like how easy it is to exploit this vulnerability. How is it? Is it a zero day? Is it being attacked in the wild or how, um, how hostile my threat environment is? Is this like a public facing website? Um, is it is it something that has no encryption on it? Um, is it just talking openly to the whole Internet? Things like that. Or it could be something like um, how what impact is this going to have if exploited? How is it going right. to impact my business, right? right, uh, right. So you want to think about all these different factors when you're trying to build that program. Um, and this tra- then you can make your own, device your own algorithm in with a combination of all these three and then come up with something like, hey, now if this is the score for um, for, for a particular vulnerability, this is critical. This is highly critical. Mm-hmm. This is like a said' go drop everything, fix it right now understand mm-hmm. the different levels that uh, will be uh, generated from this algorithm, the different levels of severity that will be generated. It could be something like, oh, this is a step one, we can uh, wait for like seven days to fix it. Or, oh, this is something that does not have a huge impact. If if, or this is something that is so walled off from the whole world that it is very difficult to get to this instance, for example. So,
0: right.
1: so understand uh, where your organization is with it mm-hmm. develop those metrics develop the scores and then uh use an efficient tool this is very important use a very efficient ticketing system uh, and i'm not just saying like just spin up like a board and then create tickets on it i'm saying uh, make it, it say if it's a kanban board make it like hey mm-hmm. this is something discovered then you create this whole ticket for them give these all these metrics to them then justify mm-hmm. that, why is this vulnerable? You don't want to just create a ticket for someone and then it is lost in the, in the black hole of their backlog because they're like, well, security says we have to do something, but I don't completely understand <laughs> what we're doing. So I'm just gonna put this in the back. We don't have time for this. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's about like building that algorithm for yourself, um, for, for the whole organization and then going from there, okay? And, and it just, again, like I said, security is a journey, not a destination you might have all these vulnerabilities and it's never going to come down to zero. We can only come with like an effective, um, strategy to combat or to like tame this monster. Um, right. then another, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's how your vulnerability management program should be ideally. Yeah.
0: Okay. So one of the things with, uh, not just, uh, threat modeling also with vulnerability management, right? You need to have buy-in from, uh not just from other teams but also from let's say uh your uh, upper management uh, uh, yeah. so that uh they invest in it right yeah um so similarly how we spoke about like threat modeling it cannot be a one-time activity it has to be a continuous right. process similarly right. vulnerability management also is a continuous activity continuous so how do, you, yeah. how do you how do you Uh, educate your your team that other teams and the upper management that uh, that it is important so that they continue to invest in how do you show that to let's say your upper management
1: upper management right so a couple of things here i would discuss something with upper management if it is absolutely like it's a dumpster fire or going to lead to a dumpster fire that's the only time i would it up to upper management but if i want like a okay. team lead to understand the severity of something most times it's just about having a conversation with them explaining that hey this looks vulnerable and this is the risk score for it and i think we should resolve this within uh, 30 days or something uh, because we don't want it lying around we don't want this uh, vulnerability lying around forever so you try to explain it to them and it is as easy as having a conversation now most of the times i have received a pushback or not no developer buying for something in that situation what you can do is just like write down a simple exploit for it show how you can exploit it and then tell them hey if i can exploit it i'm pretty sure anyone else can exploit it it's just we're like a moving target right now so right uh, yeah so make them understand with facts with numbers rather than just like going to them and then panicking them that oh you know you have like a thousand vulnerabilities in your infrastructure. That's yeah. not the way to go.
0: It, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't make sense because they don't understand that yeah. language, right? And yeah. rather I mean, showing yeah. the impact.
1: Exactly. They have access to the tool. They can see it too. It's just about understanding what this means and how I can how I can like deal with it, how I can reduce this vulnerability. So that and I think so there's two things I also want to add here. One is that try to run a very blameless culture. Like a blameless postmortem. If something um if something is broken, don't go like, oh, I know this person's team, they didn't take responsibility last time, but this is why it is broken right now. Try to do it in a blameless way because there's no point crying over spilled milk, right? Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so one, and two is um celebrate again, celebrate that win. You know, remediating vulnerability is not it's no fun. That that part of the job is no fun. <laughs> so um celebrate the fact that they got time out of their schedule and they're working on it try to reward them in a certain way um mm-hmm. yeah like give props to them discuss and, them and them i think a... uh
0: the celebrate uh wins doesn't only apply to security it applies to every, uh, every every area right uh yeah especially with the remote world that we are in we are so disconnected it makes more yeah. sense to celebrate these wins because we are as you said initially right we are context switching we are working on so many things at the same time we generally don't spend enough time to celebrate yeah. the wins so that yeah. definitely makes a lot of sense yeah uh, so another area that uh, I'm, I'm curious about is um, so in in when it comes to uh, threat detection there are uh, or when it comes to app security, we do threat modeling, we do vulnerability management. Let's say okay. uh, there is also a pen testing that we get done, or we do threat research or vulnerabilities research. We do bug bounties and all of that. When it comes to uh, cloud, how do they play a role? How do
1: they play a role? So, so there's okay. Cloud, i what i like about cloud is that it feels like the wild west of you know modern digital era like so much so many limitless opportunities so much to do with it but also like with mm-hmm. great power comes great responsibility right uh yeah. so um with respect to say um threat modeling or setting up mm-hmm. security configurations i think your work starts from there um i think s- security misconfiguration is like number 6 on owasp top 10 right now um it's you want to make sure that things that you are deploying in the cloud are configured correctly you want to make sure that Mm -hmm. your is encrypted it is not just sending you it is blocking public access things like that security misconfiguration second thing would be um focusing on say data security aspect of it like are my keys managed properly um things like that then there's also so when you say uh things like uh pen testing um Mm -hmm. The first and foremost requirement from a pen test is that it should be a beautifully written report so that I can understand what is the problem here, how are we exploiting it, and um, how can we fix it, right? If they were able to exploit it, then it's, it. I'm pretty sure, like this is, if if, if it's like an internal pen test, if they were able to exploit, it, I'm pretty sure someone, we are a moving target, uh, someone else is going to do this in the near future. So yeah. understanding your pen test report, what is being written in it, um, it could also be like having a conversation with your pen tester and going like, uh, so I know this is vulnerable, but I don't know how to fix it. Can you tell me how yeah. to fix it? Or
0: even yeah. how, to re- how to reproduce it, right? Reproduce it.
1: How to reproduce it. Um, again, with uh, with with like DevOps and Agile in picture, you're deploying code at like 1,000 miles an hour. Um, so paying attention to like, um, new technologies that you're introducing in your infrastructure at the same time. You can talk about like containerization, and, mm-hmm. uh, like making sure that you're not running Kubernetes with like root level privileges, things like that. Um, then what else can we talk about? I I also want to add in that um, you have to be approachable. Uh, uh, as, a, as a security person, you want to be deemed as approachable because one, this is say, you are educating your developers now they have an idea of what looks sus what looks what looks wrong um so they come up to you and they're like hey i think this looks wrong do you, should we sit and you know uh, maybe fix this right now you know they're only able to do this when they feel that you are approachable enough that you can sit understand their problems and discuss them with, uh, discuss these problems with yeah. them so try to be approachable so like, i feel like makes all there's like multiple uh domains to like cloud security here uh yeah and also like we don't take logging and monitoring seriously for some reason it's like oh this mm-hmm. this uh part that i've deployed uh looks great it is serving the function uh that it was supposed to do but then you also want to introduce good logs in it because you want to know in the future that if this gets exploited who exploited it is it like an insider threat is it something externally done so in the future, you don't make these
0: mistakes again and again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that that makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, one of the things that you highlighted earlier is like, uh, along with threat modeling, vulnerability management, you also need to have GRC or compliance and all of that in place, right? Yeah. Uh, as yeah. one of the pillars of your security program. Uh, for for a let's say startup or a mid-sized organization. Um, what's the right time to invest uh, in a holistic security on top of compliance uh, because mm-hmm. like compliance families like it's a soc2 or iso or hipaa they yeah. ask they sort of generally recommend to follow uh, some of the best practices but they do yeah. not cover the entire spectrum of security right so how how to determine what's the right time to invest uh, in o- overall security posture I,
1: i'll give you another uh, analogy here uh, another example um When you're building a house, you make sure your foundation is strong. You make sure this is Mm -hmm. good wiring, good plumbing, all of that. When you make the house, when you start living in the house, you want to do more with it. You want to be like, oh, I want uh, motion detecting lights or I want a good uh, camera system installed or I want like this fancy furniture. Think of that foundation as your compliance, your SOC 2, your ISO or your um whatever jurisdiction or business you belong in there are different compliance requirements for each that is your foundation it should only serve as a bedrock everything that you build on top of it is additional layer of security why do we want to do it um one because there will be new threats every day new attack vectors every day you are uh, sometimes these compliance requirements are not always up to date with what is going on with the current threat landscape one two is that um with the so if if you are since we're in the business of tech we're trying to sell a certain product right when you're selling it to mm-hmm. someone they want to make sure that this is secure if i if i involve this thing in my uh network is it going to cause harm to my network is it secure enough to be a part of my network so imagine someone just going like hey uh is um mfa enabled and you go like well it was not not right now but that's like a really basic thing, right? That's something basic, your business needs something as basic as MFA being enabled. Um, Mm -hmm. So compliance does a very good work of setting up that foundation, like all those basic requirements that your security program should need, but you are responsible for building on top of it. And it could be, another thing could be like, since it's a business, it's always going to be changing. There can be different type of data that has been handled. Yesterday, maybe it was mm-hmm. health data. I'm also dealing with financial data. So you want to make sure that you are uh, evolving with the business at the same time. The way the business is growing, your security program should grow at the same time. Um, yeah. And again, educate, educate, your, um, uh, educate your team, not just like developers, but everybody outside of developers, uh, because employees are usually like the first line of defense. So educating mm-hmm. them. Um, that is another, uh, aspect that you want
0: outside of compliance as well. Um, yeah. okay. uh, Makes a lot of sense. Like, uh, have a foundation as a starting point and then keep yeah. adding on top of it okay. as you, as you sort of scale, as you hire more engineers or hire more security and you add, start adding more layers so that your yeah. security, uh, is improved based on that. Uh, yeah, yeah makes makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much, Kalyani, for the fun conversation. Uh, here are a few important points which stood out for me. The first one is detailed understanding on a particular capability with an, with an high-level understanding of the entire architecture is very important from a threat modeling perspective. The second one is create checklists to scale security in an organization. As the organization grows, uh, having the checklists help scaling the security program. Involve other teams when possible. And invest invest and nurture security champions program as well. The third one is security is a journey, not a destination. So celebrate small wins. We often miss to do that. Uh, so they make a lot of difference. Um, I, so we generally do the podcast in two sections. Uh, we covered the security questions. The second section is around rating security practices. So, okay. so the way it works is, uh, I'll share a security practice and you rate them from one to five, one being, uh, the worst and five being the best. And uh, if you want to add context, why you have given a particular, uh, rating that will help also. Okay. So the first one is always lock your computer when you leave your desk, even if it's just for a short time. I will rate
1: this four. Um, okay. I, the reasoning being different things. One that sometimes you're like, oh, I'm just going to take, uh, I'm just going to re- go use the restroom and I'll be back in like a second or in like a minute or two. Right. But sometimes you're like, okay, I think I need coffee as well, since I'm already away from my desk, let me go get coffee. So the amount of time you're away from your desk, it keeps increasing. There's no set answer for how long I'm going to be around my desk. Right. One, two is that you never know people's intentions uh some of them mm-hmm. can be like this disgruntled, disgruntled employee who was could be like an insider threat to you they could be like mm-hmm. oh this person's laptop seems open uh maybe i should you know do something have access to documents i'm not supposed to have access to right that and then think about defense in depth we as infosec we try to put all these um uh, defenses, you know, like, oh, I'm going to use like an IDS, uh, I'm going to use like a, a intrusion prevention system or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. If
1: I'm using all these complex things, but this one small aspect of physical security is something that they could not take care of. Y- you understand this? all this, all this amazing <laughs> complex, uh, defense strategy that we're building, but this really small... But you're not
0: doing that, the basics right in a way, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: you're not doing the basic. then you're essentially again, leaving yourself exposed. Right, so mm-hmm. that's why I would give this a four, and I see this happen a lot. Like people just yeah. unlock the, they trust everyone around them, everybody is a good human. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, um, makes sense. So the next one is uh, grant users unrestricted access to systems and applications, uh, which could lead to unauthorized access and data breaches. Right?
1: Yeah, zero. <laughs> I'm going to go with the zero for this. Um, okay, because. Okay, so they'd be like, I don't have time to implement different access control or different levels of privileges here, but why should someone who is just supposed to place a certain order have access to um, the the PII of of the person, right? Why do they need to have that? They need to follow the principle of least privilege. If if you can do what you can do with your current level of permissions, you don't need other set of permission. This is unnecessary. Because, say, everybody in your org has admin access. It only takes mm-hmm. one employee to get compromised to have yeah. access to all the admin files, right? That's mm-hmm. why I would just go with, I'm not going to grant everybody admin access. Uh, we are going to have different levels um, of permissions for everyone, yeah.
0: Okay, makes sense. Uh, the last one is, uh, Devops practices are needed to move fast and deploy code to production because we want to move fast, right?
1: Uh, yes. Now
0: setting up security tests would slow down the dev practices.
1: So I hear this argument a couple of times and my only response to them is that it seems like resource utilization to you right now, but imagine a future where we get breached The small it is like a huge price you're paying for the small effort that you could have done it's just a small test that you had to do you didn't Mm -hmm. do that and you're paying a huge price and not just not just are we paying a huge price it is also like a huge dent in our reputation because we weren't doing our jobs correctly and um there are so many tools out there, like there's so many automated CICT checks, if they say that an image is vulnerable, do not push this to prod. There's so many tests. I would say that tests are a good investment of time because you know how Mm -hmm. good or bad your um, code is right now, how how dirty it is and how what needs to get fixed for it to be in a uh, production ready state. So I would not think of testing as time consuming. Also. Another thing is that you can now there's so many tools outside out there that you can use so many open source tools or you can also like ask chat GPT. I'm not saying rely directly on chat GPT's response, but you can ask that, hey, this is my vulnerable code. Can you create a test case for this? Um, And it can it can. I'm not saying it will. It can. It has the (laughs) ability to you a good test. Again, since you are a security person or you are a developer, it is your you are the owner of this feature. It is your responsibility to verify uh, that piece mm-hmm. of information and not fall for the sense of false sense of security that the tools are giving. So I would say testing is a good investment of time, longer term, for sure.
0: Makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, that, that's a great way to uh, end the episode. Uh, thank you so much, Kalyani, for joining and sharing your knowledge with us. It was lovely to speak with you. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming.
1: Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. And uh, to our viewers, thanks for watching. Hope you have learned something new. Uh, if you have any questions around security, share those at scale 20com and we'll get those answered by an expert in the security space. See you in the next episode. Thank you so much.